Section 36 of the South American Republics, Volume 1, by Thomas Cleland Dawson. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Part 4, Brazil. Chapter 13, The Portuguese Court in Rio. The political development of colonial Brazil may be divided into three epochs. First, there was the confusion of early colonization, the unsuccessful attempt to establish a system of feudal captaincies, the struggle against the Indians, French, and Jesuits, and the search for a solid economic foundation for the new Commonwealth. On the whole, this era contained the promise of the ultimate development of a freer governmental system than that of Portugal. Next followed the Spanish dynasty and the wars against the Dutch. Control of Brazil by the home government was weakened, and the colonists learned their own military power. The years following the expulsion of the Dutch, 1655 to 1700, were the brightest politically in Brazil's colonial history. The municipalities, governed by local oligarchies of landowners, exercised functions not contemplated by the Portuguese code. Though the military governors were continually encroaching, and the system was imperfect, it was in essence thoroughly local. Its fundamental defect was the want of cooperation between the towns. The third period began with the consolidation of Portugal's international position in the closing years of the 17th century. Once secure from foreign attacks, she renewed the exploitation of Brazil with redoubled eagerness. The discovery of the mines made the plunder enormous. At first there were resistance, and even formidable rebellions, like Beckmans in Maranhão, of the Mascates in Pernambuco, or of the Emboabas in Minas. But the civic vitality of the people was not great enough to sustain any continuous and effective opposition. Early in the 18th century, the municipalities were already at the mercy of the military governors, and Brazil was governed partly by petty despots and partly by numerous feeble local bodies who were without cohesion or power to resist interference. Brazil would have remained a dependency of Portugal during an indefinite period had it not been for a series of events which arose in Europe out of the French Revolution. By 1807, England was the only power which still defied Napoleon. Portugal had been Great Britain's ally for a century, but Napoleon found it necessary to have command of Lisbon and Porto in order to enforce his Berlin and Milan decrees. He peremptorily commanded Portugal to give up her English alliance. The pusillanimous John, who had been Prince Regent since the insanity of his mother in 1792, hesitated and shuffled, seeking to put off the Emperor with negotiations and evasions and a show of hostility to England. A single dispatch indicating his double dealing was enough for Napoleon, who promptly made an agreement with Spain for the division of Portugal, and ordered Ginot to march on Lisbon. The people were ready to make a desperate resistance, but their king was in two minds each day, and the army had been withdrawn from the frontier to bid the British fleet a hypocritical defiance. John shed tears over his unhappy country, but prepared to save his own person by a flight to Rio. Ginot had passed the frontier and was advancing on Lisbon by forced marches. The Prince Regent and his court huddled their movable property on board the men of war lying in the Tagus. Fifteen thousand persons, including most of the nobility, and fifty million of property and treasure were embarked. Ginot's advance guard arrived at the mouth of the river on the 27th of November, 1807, in time to see the fleet just outside and bearing south under British convoy. Six weeks later, the exiles caught sight of the coast of Brazil. 
destined thereafter to be the principal seat of the Portuguese race. The Prince Regent disembarked at Bahia, where the people received him with enthusiastic demonstrations of loyalty and tried desperately hard to induce him to make their city his capital. He adhered to the original plan, and on the 7th of March, 1808, arrived at Rio, where he was received with equal cordiality. No conditions were imposed on the helpless fugitives. The first acts of the Prince Regent proved that the removal would be of inestimable advantage to Brazil. He promulgated a decree opening the five great ports to the commerce of all friendly nations, the system of seclusion and monopolies fell to the ground at a single blow. Other decrees removed the prohibitions on manufacturing and on trades. Foreigners were allowed to come to Brazil either for travel or residence, and were guaranteed personal and property rights. A national bank was established, commercial corporations were given franchises, a printing press was set up, military and naval schools and a medical college were founded. Foreigners were encouraged to immigrate, and that improvement in art, industries, civilization, and manners began, which can only result from the daily contact of different types of humanity. For the first time, Brazil was opened to scientific investigation, and scholars, engineers, and artists were imported to aid in making its resources known. The commercial nations lost no time in trying to get a foothold in this virgin market. They sent their consuls and seamen and within a few months importations, principally from Great Britain, far exceeded any possible demand. The Prince Regent found his South American empire divided into eighteen provinces. These constitute the present states of the Brazilian Union, the only changes having been the separation of Alagoas from Pernambuco and of Paraná from São Paulo, besides the erection of the city of Rio into a neutral district. Of the three millions of people, one-third were Negro slaves, and the free Negroes and mulattoes numbered as many more. The proportion of whites in the whole country was not more than a fourth, and in the larger coast cities, in the sugar districts, and in the mining regions, it descended to a seventh and even a tenth. Civilized Indians were most numerous in Pará and Amazonas, and whites predominated most in the extreme south and in the stock-raising interior. In the century since, the whites have increased to 40%, and the Negroes have fallen to less than 25, in spite of the large slave importation in the first half of the 19th century. Sugar was still the great staple. Exports of gold and precious stones had fallen, with the exhaustion of the best placers late in the preceding century. Tobacco was largely produced, especially in Bahia, and Maranhão and Para were centers of a flourishing cotton trade. Rice, indigo, and pepper were exported on a considerable scale, and the production of coffee had been carried from Pará to Rio, and was rapidly increasing. The people of the interior were mostly clothed in coarse cottons manufactured at home. Probably nine-tenths went barefoot and lived in rude houses without ornamentation and conveniences. The slave system and the large landed estates, the want of diversification of industry, the general apathy, the ease of maintaining one's self in the mild climate, all these causes cooperated to lessen consuming power and to diminish Brazil's value as a market for imported merchandise. Great estates, many of them owned by religious corporations, were the rule. Only the best parts of these estates were cultivated, enclosures were almost unknown, and the farm buildings were dilapidated. 
though next to sugar the chief wealth cattle were neglected breeds were not kept up and the making of butter was so little understood that it was worth a dollar a pound the proprietors of the sugar ranches left everything to their slaves ploughs were unknown lumber was sawed by hand water power was rarely used for any purpose though so abundant the only schools were a few in the towns artificial light was practically unused the cities were dilapidated and their filthy streets were full of stagnant water horsemen rode on the sidewalks in the centre of rio itself freight was brought from the interior on muleback over narrow trails and hardly any roads for wheeled vehicles existed the mountains and heavily forested coast regions were extremely difficult to penetrate but in the sparsely forested interior the old indian trails furnished facilities for constant communication which was astonishingly rapid considering the circumstances the people were very hospitable to receive a guest was an honor each ranch had special quarters for travelers and the only pay the stranger could offer was to tell the news outside the ports no foreigner had ever been seen and the first englishman who visited sao paulo in eighteen o nine was as much of a curiosity as an eskimo would be to-day during john's stay in rio brazil was little involved in foreign difficulties in eighteen o eight an expedition was sent from para which took possession of cayenne but the place was restored to the french in eighteen fifteen in the south the breaking out of the argentine revolution in eighteen ten was a temptation for the prince regent to increase brazil's territory after the expulsion of the spaniards by the populace of buenos aires the spanish forces in montevideo held that place against the patriots for four years john sent an army into uruguay in eighteen eleven nominally to help the spaniards but he had to withdraw it because of spanish pressure after the surrender of montevideo by the spaniards a civil war broke out amongst the patriots of uruguay and the adjacent argentine provinces the warring factions trespassed on the territory of their brazilian neighbors john determined to seize the coveted north bank of the plate for himself in eighteen fifteen the celebrated guerrilla chief artigas invaded the seven missions which had been seized in eighteen o one and throughout that year and the next the rio grandenses fought desperately to expel him finally artigas was decisively defeated and the portuguese army marched down the coast and entered montevideo without opposition they were welcomed by the factions opposed to artigas but the buenos aires government protested and artigas kept up a resistance in the interior until he was overthrown by rival argentine chieftains from eighteen seventeen to eighteen twenty one uruguay remained in the military occupation of brazilian troops and in the latter year it was formally annexed under the title of the cisplatine province brazil had had to assume the burdens as well as reap the advantages of being an independent nation the whole extravagant government with its swarm of hangers-on who had bankrupted both nations together was now saddled on brazil alone john advisers regarded liberal principles as dangerous to civil order and considered all french and north americans as firebrands whose presence in brazil might start the flame of revolution the united states minister was treated as if he were a jacobin agent and american ships were searched for napoleon's spies however the removal of the court to rio had set forces in motion which ultimately transformed brazil free ports were open doors for ideas and education as well as merchandise 
free manufacturing and immigration diversified industry and spread energetic habits the influx of so many educated portuguese and the introduction of the printing press stimulated a desire for instruction among the brazilians ambition for employment in the public service the road to which under the portuguese system has always lain through the gates of a university cooperated a considerable educated class began to be formed though the intellectual movement never extended into the body of the people through the former class the nation found the means of expression a spirit of inquiry and unrest was roused but the movement was intellectual rather than instinctive theoretical rather than practical from the top down and directed more toward the revolutionizing the central government than developing local administration the first outbreak on brazilian soil against absolutism was the pernambuco revolution of eighteen seventeen five lodges of freemasons existed in the city the priests themselves were most earnest preachers of political freedom merchants and sugar planters wanted lower taxes the prosperity of the sugar trade had made the people self-confident a conspiracy was formed which had the sympathy of many of the clergy and influential citizens an attempt to arrest the principal agitators resulted in a riot the troops were mostly brazilian and rose in favor of their compatriots and the populace joined them the governor fled leaving the public departments and the treasury containing a million dollars in the hands of the revolutionists the movement became at once frankly separatists and republican a committee of public safety was named the portuguese flags were torn down a temporary constitution proclaimed a printing press set up to publish a liberal newspaper messengers were dispatched to the interior and to the neighboring provinces to announce the overthrow of despotism and to invite cooperation but they met with no enthusiastic reception fear of the aggressive jacobinism of the city of pernambuco cooled the slave owners and conservatives and the dignitaries on the revolutionary committee were shocked by the impetuosity of their radical colleagues the insurgents had not had time to provide themselves with arms and the portuguese fleet from bahia quickly blockaded the port when the royal troops came up they found the interior of the province in civil war and the radicals were soon backed into the city where a short siege compelled them to capitulate the more aggressive leaders were shot by court-martial and a military government was set up hundreds of prisoners were carried off to bahia where they remained until the great reaction of eighteen twenty one. End of section thirty six.